Hello and welcome to the Property Roundup on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we chat to industry experts to get a view on new trends emerging across the market. This show is brought to you in partnership with the Property District, changing the narrative of the industry. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Kieran McQuinn, Research Professor at the Economic and Social Research Institute, or the ESRI. Kieran, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Kieran, you must be very busy right now looking at, you know, when we look at, you know, obviously we're going to be talking about the state of Irish housing delivery, but actually in terms of data, it feels like we've never had so much data, but perhaps so little insight about the market. Um, So you might just talk to us about where you see uh, the Irish property market right now. Yeah, I, I think that there's a couple of factors, really. I suppose, first of all, if you take a slightly longer term perspective, the, the, the market, I think, is still ultimately at present uh, suffering uh, the ill effects of the still suffering the ill effects of the financial crisis and the after effects of that. And by that, I mean, the financial crisis had a huge effect on the supply side of the Irish housing market. Um, you know, a number of developers would have gone bust um, and, you know, essentially the supply side was almost wiped out for a number of years. But I suppose over a more longer term perspective, the kind of changes that have come about as a result of the financial crisis, particularly some of the financial sector related changes, have made it quite difficult, I suppose, in a way for the for the, the, the supply side to react to the, you know, the surge in demand that we've seen. And I suppose... Really, over the last 10 years, what we've seen is the demand side of the housing market recover much quicker, much more in a much more strong, uh, stronger and more persistent fashion than the supply side. Um, the demand side has recovered mainly because the economy has recovered very sharply. And we had work, for instance, published this recently in our quarterly economic commentary, which would suggest that the economy, when you strip out all of the multinational related distortions, grew somewhere in the, in the region of around 4% per annum. Uh, over the last 10 years. And that's a very, very strong sustained growth rate. So when you add that to the low interest rate environment that we've seen over the period, really housing demand has come back very, very strong, but the supply side of the market hasn't been able to to reciprocate. And that's why I think we're seeing the very uh, sharp increases in house prices and rents that we've seen. Now, I think the pandemic, COVID-19, has exacerbated that issue, um, but clearly that's where we're at right now. Um. Kieran, just when you talk about the ill effects or the after effects of the financial crash and how, you know, the impact that 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 they are having on the supply side, at what point does something at what point does something move on from being an ill effect of or an after effect of an event and actually just become part of the market dynamic? Um, so, for example, you know, for construction and and you know, focusing mainly on the supply side. At what point are we just dealing with? Actually, this is the dynamic of the Irish marketplace right now. Yeah, I I think probably some of the regulatory changes are 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 pretty permanent. You know, if you think of the ones that have been brought in, especially at a European level, so the kind of regulatory changes that have been imposed on the uh, the Irish banking sector as well as uh, other banking sectors. You know, it, that, I suppose, brought about a very uh, kind of significant change in the, the way and the manner in which financial institutions uh, would fund uh, property development. So, you know, typically back in the days of the Celtic Tiger, property developers were able to get a fairly large amount of their funding purely from debt finance or from financial institutions, possibly up to 78, even 90 percent of the overall cost of the venture. 
that's changed significantly uh, now and really, you know, the, the same type of ratios, if you like, at, at present, people would say in the industry that they're only able to get maybe 50 or 60% of the overall costs of the project funded through debt finance. So they, they have to raise other finance elsewhere. So that's kind of firmly bedded into the, the, the financial system, uh, really. And I suppose that's the new reality. And it's been one of the reasons, I guess, why there has been a, a, a relatively slow response as far as the um, the, 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 the construction sector is concerned. I suppose the other issue as well, which we've seen, and it's not just an Irish phenomenon, I think it's something that's uh, observed across a lot of particularly European countries, is the fact that the governments governments typically kind of withdrew from the housing market over the last 15 or 20 years. Uh, so whereas the government could always be relied on to provide a certain amount of housing, uh, particularly at the social and affordable side of things, that really has, has uh, ebbed away over the last period of time. And I think you are seeing measures here domestically where the government is beginning to get back into the sector and beginning to, to look at uh, providing more social and affordable housing itself. But I think really it's been a cumulative effect over the last 10 years as well. So uh, I think that's another factor, if you like, that, that that has impacted the market. I think it's it's interesting to hear you describe it in those terms, you know, that the government did effectively withdraw from the housing market. But we can see huge political and particularly um, uh, opposition political commentary calling for the state to be more involved. But the reality is the state doesn't have that direct um that direct capacity so therefore you know the the best it could do essentially is what it's doing through the partnerships with the approved housing bodies um who collectively are delivering at pace i mean they're probably one of the strongest uh sectors of of delivery of any form of housing um but particularly social and affordable housing but is there a is there a growing role for the government to get more directly involved? You know, only in the last couple of weeks we talked or we heard uh, calls for a, a state home builder. I mean, is that something that the state can do viably um, at this point? I think where the state is at is um, in terms of what the state can provide. And, and we're relatively fortunate, I, I suppose, at present in the sense that the public finances are in a, a relatively strong position. To, in order uh, to facilitate this, the state can provide a lot of the finance, um, if you like, for housing construction. Now, how it does that, I think, needs to be te- teased out somewhat. Um, what's the most efficient way of delivering social and affordable housing? Is it through the state itself going back out as it did before, for instance, through local authorities and provide housing? That's something which they are embarking on again. They are encouraging local authorities to get back into the kind of housing supply area, um, having kind of discouraged them from doing so over the last 15, 20 years. As you say, the approved housing bodies have been making significant progress in this regard as well. So that's another way in which they can do it. And obviously you have uh, agencies like the Land Development Agency set up to try and convert publicly owned land into uh, social and affordable housing. Now, again, how it does that, whether the state itself goes out and, and you know, directly employs uh, the labour or whether it, 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 it engages in uh, uh, projects, collaboration projects with the private sector uh, in terms of developers and the private sectors. I mean, that is something that is envisaged in some of the, for instance, in the Housing for All plan that was uh, announced there is a particular scheme that looks to fund the private sector uh, and, and provide some of the finance to the private sector that maybe it's been unable to get through traditional means, as in through the financial sector. So I think it's important to acknowledge that the state has, in the last year or so, uh, significantly increased the amount of funding available for uh, for housing and particularly social and affordable housing. 
I think what's less clear is what is the most efficient way to deliver that over the coming years. And I do think that's the discussion which needs to be had. Uh, as I said, typically the private sector is the most efficient, usually at providing as, um, you know, goods and services, um, particularly when it has the finance. So I think it is probably, loosely speaking, something along those lines of a relationship between the state providing the finance, the private sector providing the expertise, uh, and um, I think that's probably the most effective way of increasing supply, and particularly supply of, of social and affordable housing. We've done a lot of work on looking at the cost of housing, uh, and we've done so over the last, looked at it over the last 20 years. It's a huge issue in Ireland, the relative cost of housing. It's, it's very high, and so we do need... Uh, to address it. Um, and I think it, there, there's significant evidence of, you know, even the multinational sector wanting us to address this issue. Uh, it, is a, it is a competitiveness issue at this stage. So the state needs to be involved in providing particularly social and more affordable housing. Um, but as I said, I think there's, there is some work to be done yet in, in terms of teasing out what's the most effective and efficient way of delivering that. Um, Kieran, there's there's actually a lot in what you've said there that I would like to unpack, but let's start with the cost of construction because uh, Turnaround Townsend Ireland recently released kind of their Irish perspective of the the global um, reporting that that brand does, and it places Dublin as the second most expensive city in the EU in which to build uh, after only Munich, and I think we're about nineteenth globally. Um, so just in terms of the cost of construction, I think maybe one of the surprising parts of that Turner and Townsend research was that actually, despite being the second most expensive uh, city in which to build in the EU, we actually have some of the lowest construction uh, construction um, wages being paid. Mm. So that would suggest a certain amount of waste then within the construction industry. So where is that allocated? When you talk about cost of construction, from the ESRI perspective, what do you class as a cost of construction? What do you put in that bucket? Well, I think it's it's the whole range of, of items, really, from the financing cost to the, uh, the purchase of land uh, to the kind of variable costs that you're talking about there. So whether those are wages or costs of raw materials, et cetera, it's right across the board, really. I think... Um, you, you know, the, the survey you're referring to, uh, um, you, you know, we haven't quite seen it fully yet, but I think it'll be interesting to, to, to look into it in some detail. And we are doing some work ourselves looking at the cost of construction across the, uh, across the island of Ireland in terms of housing. But I think you have to be careful in terms of what can the state uh, do, you know, in terms of areas such as, um, for instance, labour costs or costs of raw materials. There's only so much the state can do in that context. Where the state can have a role, I think, particularly on, on, on the cost of production is in areas such as land costs. And I do think we need to think about how we, we provide land and how it's used uh, over the coming uh, years, because I do think that clearly we've seen a large speculative element within land costs over the past period of time. We've seen instances of developers, you know, being able to sit on land without actually developing it. And consequently, it, you know, uh, people are able to, to watch the value of the land increase year on year without necessarily doing anything with it. So I think that is a concern that ultimately that feeds into the higher costs. And that is something that the state can address. It has begun to address it in terms of uh, using taxes as a way of kind of stimulating and encouraging developers to use land. And that in turn should see the cost of that land begin to come come down in terms of the value, in terms of the price, I think, of it. So there's there are certain ways that the state can address the costs uh, of construction. 
Uh, and there are other ways where I think it's less easy for the state to intervene typically, but I certainly think in, in, in the area of land costs is one area where the state can have an impact. Um, in terms of land costs, you know, we saw the LGA, um, you know, certainly uh, being billed as the holder of state lands that would be suitable for development. But actually what we've seen in practice is that that's gone from being a developer of of housing essentially for all because you know again our the state response is called housing for all and therefore should be housing for all but actually what we saw within uh, a year or two years was that the LGA very clearly emerged as really only being in a position to deliver social and affordable but not able to work well with the private sector to deliver housing for purchase by first-time buyers and by members of the local community so actually that's still that's still kind of a gap that has yet to be addressed, um, you know, particularly outside of Dublin, um, you know, where we're not seeing much development other than um, social housing. So actually for people, you know, we, we really have a difficulty in terms of living up to the promise that we made uh, to the people of Ireland in terms of making home ownership accessible. And you can call that a political promise. I would go further to say that it was really um it, it was more of a societal promise that and I feel like we're getting further and further away from that. And I'm not sure if the LDA is, you know, the, the arm that's going to be able to tackle that. I mean, to be honest, if it can tackle social and affordable housing, that's probably as much as one agency can do. But you talked about the role of the state maybe in making finance available. That seems like something the state should be able to do. But what we see through, say, the home building finance um, initiative is that it's, you know, is the money going to the developers who are delivering homes regionally where they're needed? Or are they going to the large providers of large apartment schemes, even um, in and around the capital city? So it just feels like none of the housing for all initiatives are actually doing what they said they would do at the start. Yeah, well, I, I mean, obviously, I'm not here to to defend the LDA, but I do think if you look at their output, um, uh, certainly, and there is a delay. Obviously, they, they, you know, they haven't been able to actually, I think, deliver any units yet, uh, and I think they, they've kind of documented the reasons for that around the kind of the long delay in terms of from project initiation to actual delivery of housing units. And there's a lot of issues there in terms of, uh, for instance, planning, for example, and how long it takes to get developments through the planning system. So I think the LDA seems to be as much a victim of that as any other kind of agency looking to increase housing supply. My understanding is that in terms of the output they provide, that, that there is a certain proportion of what they produce is for social and affordable, but there is a certain proportion that is going to the, straight to the market as well. So I do think they're they're covering across a number of the, the the different headings, not just the social and affordable. Some people have argued they should be doing more social and affordable, but certainly I do think they are looking to, to kind of cover across the different kind of tenure types. Um, the Housing for All, as I said earlier on, does have a specific uh, scheme, um, which I can't recall off the top of my head because it's actually an Irish but it basically the aim of it is to provide uh, finance to developers uh, and particularly in urban areas. Now, I know your point is well made about the regional breakdown. Um, I, I think probably in terms of the real pressing requirements, and notwithstanding the fact that there is a need clearly for regional, greater regional supply, I think most people, you know, in terms of 
dealing with the housing issue as a kind of an emergency issue, given the you know the 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 the, the prominence that it's gotten over the last period of time would feel that it really is in, in the urban areas is where we need the supply, certainly initially, you know, particularly apartments, um, you know, for, for um, you know, the younger cohort of the population. That seems to be the kind of the, the real pressure point as far as dealing with the supply issue is concerned. So I think some of the policy initiatives that have been undertaken and announced are very much tailored uh, in that regard, but certainly, you know, greater regional spread uh, is necessary. And particularly, I suppose, if you are going to rebalance the country away from the, the kind of eastern seaboard to the more a more balanced regional development, then clearly you, you need measures that will facilitate housing supply across the country. Yeah, very good. And actually, I, I think that scheme you're referring to is the Cree Krenna scheme. And to be honest, that's really to be welcomed. And we have one for the cities and for the towns. So actually, that's a that's an example of a really good initiative. And we want to see more of that. But you know, um, actually, there was something else I wanted to ask you, Kieran. And again, I, I don't know if this falls under your remit, but you might just have an opinion on it. You know, look, years ago, years ago, I remember um, there was always this old adage that, you know, the UK sneezes and Ireland catches a cold. Um, but is that as true today? You know, when we're following what's happening in the property market now, you know, post-Brexit, is that as true today? Because we see massively rising interest rates there which will likely come down the track for Ireland but in terms of the behavior of the housing market there is that something that we're likely to see mirrored here in a period of six to nine months or has that I suppose our our past uh, our past following of trends in the UK market have we separated from that a little bit? Certainly, I think we have. Um, in terms of uh, the other role that I have in the Institute, apart from looking at housing, is looking at the the, the overall economic outlook. And I suppose we, we published our latest quarterly commentary last week. And in that, along with a lot of the commentaries we've been doing recently, we've been uh, pointing to, for instance, the greater dependence of the Irish economy in areas such as pharmaceuticals and ICT. These sectors have really been powering the growth of the Irish economy over the last number of years. And as a result of that, it's been weakening the links even further between Ireland and the UK. So we would have done a lot of studies around Brexit, both before Brexit occurred and after it. And we would have been quite pessimistic about the effect of Brexit, not just on the UK, obviously, but also on the Irish economy. But it's clear that the, the really the very, very strong performance of the ICT and pharma sectors have basically almost cushioned us from the, the ill effects of Brexit. Uh, on particularly on the British economy. Uh, so those links that you've talked about, um, which were very strong up to maybe 25, 30, 35 years ago, they have been weakening considerably over the last period of time. And really, even in the last five or six years, they've weakened again. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to say, um, certainly as far as construction is concerned, you would have seen a lot of flow in construction workers between Ireland and the UK. Um, and, um, you know, so the, the construction sector may be slightly different to the rest of the economy in that regard. But even still, I suppose the construction sector uh, and there is some evidence recently, particularly in terms of the permit scheme that the government has been, uh, has been employing, that that's been quite successful in sourcing labour from other parts of Europe in particular and even outside of Europe. So I guess we are, as generally as an economy, and particularly even in the construction sector, probably moving more and more away from the kind of historically very strong relationship that was there between the Irish and the UK uh, economies. Um, 
I, and I suppose maybe building on that, I just saw yesterday uh, the BBC ran with a news story. I, I think that was kind of based very much on some output from the IDA, but essentially with the headline that the housing crisis in Ireland is undermining new investment. Is that is that a real threat we're seeing? I think so. I think it is. I mean, if you think about it, housing is a key cost. I mean, employers, when they come into an economy, they're always very concerned with the cost base in that economy, both in terms of things like wages and overall costs. But housing costs are a hugely important element of that. Uh, And housing costs themselves are going to be a key driver of things like wages. There's no point in paying people very, very high wages if they're going to have to pay a very, very large amount of that, of those wages on housing costs. So, I think it's clear that particularly the multinational sector has been, you know, quite vocal, uh, probably privately with the government in communicating its unease at the the relatively high costs of, of housing and accommodation in the Irish economy. Uh, I think, you know, it is probably spurring the government on in some respect in terms of dealing with the housing issue. So I think, uh, you know, people like the National Competitiveness Council have pointed to the high rates of uh, of housing costs in the domestic economy. Uh, so it, it it clearly is an issue. Now, the only point you can say is that high housing costs are something we've seen across Europe and even across Western economies. The United States and certainly parts of the United States have been very much impacted by high housing costs as well. So it's not something that's particular to Ireland, but certainly it's something that we are experiencing in quite a significant manner. Um, just again, I'm conscious of your time, Karen. I don't want to delay you too much, but... Um... I, I, one of the things I'd, lo- I'd love to talk to you about is, you know, we're seeing, the, you know, I start the interview by saying that we're seeing so much more in terms of market data, because I remember coming into this industry 20 years ago before the National Property Price Register. So we did, we had no information except for for sale prices that were listed on uh, websites that were really only getting started at that time. So I, I, I suppose coming from a place of being operating in this industry when we had so little data. And I can remember uh, people from outside of Ireland trying to understand how the Irish property market works its comps. And they just couldn't believe that it actually could be as simple as a phone call to a competitor, a state agency office, asking for information. And that information you were given could be strategic in either direction. So not particularly helpful. You know, now that we have so much more data there seems to maybe be not a huge amount of alignment between that. So let's start with maybe just the fundamentals of um, understanding what our demand is. From the ESRI's perspective, what do you class as the demand for new housing per year? Well, we've done work. Uh, colleagues of mine would have estimated this uh, around three or four years ago, and their estimates would have suggested on the basis of demographic trends uh, and things like net migration, and also household formation, which is a key factor in all of this. They would have said that the figure is somewhere between 30 and 35,000 units. Now, uh, we, we've obviously had the new census data is coming on stream. So my colleagues are looking to update that work and, and estimates will be uh, forthcoming by the end of the year. And it's likely that, you know, in, in all likelihood, the estimates will be higher so that the, the estimate of the kind of structural demand, if you like, based on demographics, based on net migration will be higher. And the other point to remember, of course, in relation to this is that we've been missing those targets over the last 10 years. So there's an accumulation. That's a year-on-year estimate. There's an accumulation over the period of time as to how much uh, housing is actually required in the economy to meet the demand that's out there. But certainly those are the key factors. The, the higher census data, the inward migration, we've seen obviously the situation around the Ukrainian uh, war, 
um, and then household formation. Those are the key factors in terms of what the uh, what we feel the structural demand for housing actually is. Um, and I, I suppose then, finally, in terms of the key metrics that we ought to be watching to determine market trends, you know, sometimes actually you can all, we can almost be distracted by different reports coming out and it's not always very clear what are the what are the figures, what are the metrics that we need to be watching so that we actually understand the direction of travel of the market. So, for example, um, you know, we've seen uh, rent increasing in areas outside of the rent pressure zones. We've seen a slowdown in, in and, and actually a drop in property prices for the first time in many areas. Um, so like what are the key what's the key data that we ought to be tracking to understand what's going on in the housing market? Well, I, I think it's important, uh, you know, the, the key variables are, are, are relatively straightforward. There are things like rents and prices and housing supply. But I think it's important that you kind of look at those over a somewhat maybe more medium term perspective rather than maybe just the latest actual uh, quarterly figure. And that's something that I suppose we always strive to do in any work that we've done. You know, I, there was some commentary recently in, in an article in the Irish Times, which, for example, suggested that we didn't. Uh, you know, that housing supply wasn't so much of an issue because of the recent moderation in house prices. And really, I, I think that's a classic example of analysis that falls into that trap of just looking at the most recent data without putting it over, a, putting it in a medium term perspective. So I think it's always important that you kind of look at these trends over, you know, a maybe four or five year period. And I think that gives you a good perspective as to where the market is going in terms of of, of, of price trends and cost trends, et cetera. But for us, the key variables are always things like rents. We we actually estimate the rents for the rental tenancy board. So we actually estimate 166 different rents every quarter. Um, and, uh, you know, so we're very familiar with that. Uh, we also look at the tenancy numbers behind that as well, which is a very important variable. So I think those are the key variables, really. Rents, prices, supply. There are there are certainly data gaps, and I think uh, we'd be conscious of those. For instance, land prices. We don't have a land price series, and I think that's an important gap uh, out there. And we were talking about land prices earlier. I mean, it's very hard to gauge where they are going when you don't have an actual official series of those. And also even commercial property prices. We don't have an official commercial property price series either. Um, and I think that's, again, that's another uh, data gap. And are they gaps that are actively being addressed or considered to be addressed at this point? Well, I think if if you talk to the CSO, I think they will say that they are addressing the issue. Um, but you know, clearly, I suppose we would like to like to have them. If you think back to the financial crisis, the main uh, real issue that caused so much distress, and particularly in the amongst financial institutions, was commercial property. The variability in commercial property prices. It was the fact that the commercial property prices went so high and then fell fell to such a low level. So, if you think that's fifteen years ago now, and we still don't have a commercial property price series, an official one, um, I think you know that's a significant data gap. And I think that will be a significant problem over the coming eighteen to twenty four months if Irish. Uh, commercial real estate follows the trends that we're seeing in other uh, commercial real estate markets all around um, the world. And by the way, I'm I'm so glad that you touched on that um, that particular article that came out in the Irish Times a couple of weeks ago, stating that supply is not the issue. Because quite frankly, when I read that, I I try not to be g- g- guided by the headline because sometimes they can be misleading. And I read through the body and indeed the academic in question did really believe that supply was not the issue in Ireland. And uh, the commentary across social media from the industry was one of 
disbelief actually that that un- that this is a voice coming out from academia but um you, hopefully it, it's it's one that will be i suppose maybe taken in the context of the mm. wider data that's available well i i, I just say on a point of record I, I don't believe the person is 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 if if it's the same article we're talking about i think it was written by someone who now works for a bank okay so I think maybe that might be worth uh, an important uh, consideration. Well, yeah. that it was just it was it was a surprising one, um, and it's one where you expect the body of the article would have corrected the headline, but unfortunately that wasn't the case. So, um, yep. so can I take it from an ESRI perspective that uh, supply is definitely still an issue for Irish housing? Uh, very much so. Yes, very much so. I'm, I'm glad to clarify that. Thank you so much. That was Dr. Kieran McQuinn, Research Professor at the Economic and Social Research Institute, the ESRI. Thank you again, Kieran, for joining us and for sharing your expertise today. That's all we've time for. You're very welcome. My thanks to producer Katie Tallon and to the production team at Hear Me Roar Media on Sound. And thank you to our show sponsor, Property District, changing the narrative of the industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out all of the other real estate and construction shows from around the world on iProperty Radio. And thank you indeed for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode of Property Roundup for iProperty Radio.